beginning in verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came home from the ruler of the synagogue's house and came uh, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. They ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. And then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Father, we thank you so much for these words. Thank you, Lord, for letting us enter into the, the amazing reality of the lives of these individuals. First, the woman with the issue of blood, and, and then Jairus and his family, Lord. I pray that we would think about them as real people, as indeed they were and that we would sense and feel and identify with all that they were going through, Lord. Whether we've experienced those specific things or not, Lord, we can certainly identify with them. That the message that you have for us this morning would be all the more real, whether to encourage us or uh, strengthen us or, or whatever you want it to do, Lord. May it have its way and its will in our hearts. May we have a sense that you are speaking directly to us, teaching us, and setting our minds on things above. We pray these things this morning in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. These are episodes three and four of a reality series we're calling Faith Factor. The cameras were rolling following Jesus and his 12 disciples as he demonstrated how faith foils the four greatest fears that we have as human beings. In episode one, the disciples were caught in a storm as they were crossing over the Sea of Galilee. Their fear of storms was foiled when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. In episode two, the disciples were confronted by satanic power as the demoniac of Gadara came out of the tombs to meet them as they hit the shore. Their fear was again foiled as Satan cast out not just one demon, but a legion of demons, leaving the man clothed and in his right mind. Now in episode three, the woman with the flow of blood pressed forward to secretly touch the Lord. The fear Jesus foiled was our fear of suffering, especially chronic and incurable suffering. 
Finally, in the season finale of episode four, Jesus foiled our greatest fear, the separation of our soul and spirit from the body at death. Two of the episodes involve physical danger and two involve spiritual danger. And these four pretty well sum up all the circumstances you might fear both in this life or in the next. Suffering and separation at death are the two things that can get very real and dramatic in your life. They can still strike fear in our hearts even as Christians, but they shouldn't, and we want to explore the faith that is necessary to put them into perspective. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, faith in Jesus foils your fear of suffering, and number two, faith in Jesus foils your fear of separation. First of all, in verses 40 through 48, faith in Jesus foils your fear of suffering. Maybe you're suffering this morning. It doesn't have to be physical. It can be emotional or financial or social. It can even be spiritual. Whatever you are presently suffering or have suffered in the past or will suffer today or tomorrow, you're going to see that this woman with the flow of blood is someone that you can identify with. The story begins with Jairus coming to Jesus, but the first few verses quickly turn our attention to this chronically suffering woman. And so again in verse 40 we read, So it was when Jesus returned that the multitudes welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Jesus and the twelve had sailed across the Sea of Galilee. There the Lord confronted and cured a demoniac. But because he ruined their swine-raising business, the people asked him to leave and depart. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord. Instead of rejoicing, they asked Jesus to depart. It should not surprise you when folks reject the Lord in favor of their own lifestyle or livelihood. It should sadden you, but don't be surprised. More to the point and more applicable to our own lives, it would be good to examine our own hearts to see if there is some region of our heart where we have not fully invited Jesus to remain. You know, the human heart is a very complicated thing. Not the physical organ, but the spiritual organ. It's deceitful and wicked, the Bible says, and who can know it? The answer is only God can know it, and part of our walk with the Lord is Him revealing layer after layer of the things that are in our hearts. And it could be that there are regions of our heart that the Lord would show us even this morning where He is not as welcome as He is in other areas, and that would be a good thing to realize today. Then in verse 41, Behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. I want you to remember these details. We'll return to Jairus and his daughter in a moment. For now, this sets the stage for a rather unusual encounter. It says, but as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. We need to enter into the sad world of this woman and her suffering for just a moment. She had what the Bible says was a flow of blood, or the King James Version says an issue of blood. This was bleeding from her womb, 
probably as a result of what we today would diagnose as fibroid tumors of her uterus. I'm not a doctor, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn. <laughs> Actually, I stayed at WebMD, uh, so I'm going to describe this condition. You ever go to WebMD? Man, I wouldn't recommend it. I'll tell you, you'd be diagnosed with terrible things if you look at their... That, just forget that. But anyway, fibroid tumors, they're benign, but they can bulge into the uterus causing bleeding. And by bleeding, I mean hemorrhaging and the passing of large blood clots. The larger the tumor or tumors, the heavier the bleeding. They can be painful and they can cause endometriosis, a condition my stay at the Holiday Inn did not cover. Also, because there is a loss of blood, you suffer anemia and weakness. And this had been going on for 12 years consistently in the life of this poor woman. This was a pretty severe and chronic physical suffering, but it involved much more than the physical. There was financial suffering. You're told that she had spent all her livelihood on physicians. She was in that category of people that didn't have a health plan, no health insurance. Her employer couldn't pay for it or whatever. Nobody had health insurance, obviously, you know that. I mean, it was just tough if you fell sick in those days if you weren't rich, even if you were because the cures were few and far between. Now, Luke, remember, was a doctor himself, and so he's just being honest. He understood the cost of seeking a cure for these diseases and, and ailments. Her illness had wiped her out financially. And then there was emotional suffering. She could not be healed by any. Some of you suffer or have suffered with chronic illness or chronic pain. And there is a kind of emotional wearing down in your life that only you can really, you know, feel in, in the fullest sense. Uh, especially if you've ever had something wrong with you and you know that there's something wrong with you and you go to doctor after doctor and they do their best to diagnose you and they come and they say they can't find anything wrong with you, but of course you hear and it sounds like they're saying there's nothing wrong with you. You're some kind of hypochondriac. Sure, yeah, I love being sick. It's what I live for. But, uh, you know, th that happens from time to time. And there is an emotional distress that takes place in your life. It affects how you think and everything that you do. It's what you think about day and night. And then there was social suffering. It's not explained for you, but her flow of blood rendered this woman a social outcast from Jewish society. She would be considered unclean and could not be touched or touch others because of this issue of blood. And so she was cast out of social gatherings. And finally, she was suffering spiritually. Her unclean status prohibited her from attending synagogue worship services. She was cut off from public corporate worship. You don't have to suffer from the same condition in order to understand someone else's suffering. Might be helpful, sometimes it's not helpful. You know, a lot of times you seek somebody out who's had the same problem that you're having, but their course of, course of treatment or their eventual cure can be very different from yours. And it can actually discourage you. They got well and you're getting sicker. 
and, and, and that kind of, so I just, I don't want to discourage you. If there's something wrong with you and you want to seek out somebody who had exactly that ailment, that's fine. But I want to encourage all of us who don't have certain conditions, we can nevertheless enter into the suffering of people who do. We can think outside the physical pain and consider how a person would be affected financially. What's going on with them financially? Do they have any insurance? What's their deductible? Is this, you know, draining their finances to go through this? How are they doing emotionally rather than be a little bit snippy towards them, you know, because they, they're a little bit short-tempered? Maybe we can give them the benefit of the doubt, knowing that they're, they're stressed all the time with this pain. Maybe socially they're going through some problems as they really can't be around people the way they'd like, and especially spiritually, how is this affecting them? And, and it really sets all of us loose to just minister one to another. We don't have to be in a particular support group for that particular ailment to be able to be used by the Lord to minister to someone else. We just have to be thoughtful and prayerful. Now, this woman should not have been in that crowd. She should not have pressed through the crowd because she had to touch others to do it, but she did. She pressed through the crowd to touch Jesus. Perhaps there are crowds in your life that hinder you from reaching the Lord, and you could list a number of them. There's the crowd of busyness or entertainments or activities. Uh, there are as many as there are individuals here, things that hinder us from getting to the Lord. Uh, that, that make it difficult. We, we oftentimes bring them on ourselves, but they hinder us from pressing through and getting to where the Lord is being preached and ministered. You need to press through those crowds, through all the things that are blocking you from Him. You have to have that desire. We read it this morning in our opening uh, uh, Scripture, to desire the watering brook as a deer in the forest, to get to that water. Now, she touched the border or the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus dressed as a first century rabbi, and that meant that there were blue tassels along the hem of his outer garment. That's styling, man, I like that. And I have tassels added to my outer garments. Those Cuban shirts I wear, could you see them with tassels around? That'd be cool, or not. Now, why it is she thought touching Jesus in secret would help her is unknown. Commentators speculate she was superstitious, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. I, I don't know. That might be going too far. I think it's really all that she could do. She had faith to believe that Jesus could heal her, and so she went to where Jesus was, but she couldn't get to him, really, and so she thought, and then as thinking about it, she said, well, if I do get to the Lord, he's not supposed to touch me. I'm not supposed to even be in his presence but I know that he can heal, and so it's really all that she could do, and it's the least that she could do, and so she did it, and he healed her. And it says in verse 45, Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? Now, everyone was touching the Lord, but they all denied it when he asked them. Have you ever been in a crowd just, you know, kind of thronged. It's, it can be scary as everybody's trying to funnel through the revolving counter or whatever. This is why I don't go to European soccer games ever. <laughs> you can be pressed and killed in those things, you know. I've seen those stadiums just collapse, and I mean, that's rough stuff. 
Just give me a baseball game any day. But anyway, so, you've, so everybody was touching Jesus. I mean, they were pressing in on him. And so Jesus goes, well, who touched me? And they all denied it. Now, it's interesting. They must have been afraid that he was somehow upset. The crowd must have thought, well, Jesus is irritated or angry because we're pressing in on him. The disciples probably thought we should have gotten like our secret service positions around the Lord, you know, and just get away. Let me see your hands, you know, and all that and, and kept this bubble around the Lord. And so everybody backs up and it's like, oh, we're in trouble now. Now, this is maybe the saddest part of this whole story this morning, I think, because they all jumped to the wrong conclusion about Jesus' attitude when he spoke. Jesus we'll see in a minute, perceived that someone had been healed. Something amazing and fantastic had just taken place. And he stopped and he goes, who touched me? And they're all, oh man, he's mad. He's so upset. He's angry. It's hard because, you know, we've just got the written word. And, and written words sometimes can be misunderstood in terms of their tone and tense. Those of you who are in the 21st century and you send email, Ever get misunderstood by somebody, send them an email, and they say, well, why are you so offended? All you said was, hello. <laughs> that was a very offensive hello. Had an exclamation point at the end. What are you trying to say? The first part of it is hell. <laughs> I mean, people, they're very sensitive to things like that. And so, but see, I really want you to understand this. This crowd, his disciples, immediately thought that he was angry and upset and irritated. Who touched me? Don't you guys know I'm tired? I've got, I don't want all of these fellowship germs all over me. I mean, leave me alone for a while. We read into things, we read things into God's Word that are not there. We don't just, it's not just this crowd that does it, we have a tendency to do it. Almost always, if, if you're not guarding against it, when we hear something taught or read something for ourselves, we can see God as angry and irritated and upset with us. Everything's an exhortation. Everything's a rebuke. And it sometimes gets reinforced in church. You lousy Christian, you. If you only gave more and prayed more and read more, the world would be a better place. And we have a tendency to draw back from the Lord to think that He's somehow harsh and mean-spirited, when in fact, He's glad and happy and ecstatic. And, and, and instead of saying, you know, things like, who touched me? He's saying, who touched me? I can't wait to expose you and to let everybody know what a fantastic thing God has done in your life. And, and we really need to understand this and be careful about this. We put unnecessary burdens on ourselves, and then we blame God for them as if He put them there. And it's really just our own misunderstanding of His nature. Now, Peter's question is pretty appropriate. He wanted Jesus to explain himself, what kind of touching are you talking about, Lord? because everyone is touching you. And so Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. It seems that God the Father gave Jesus a word of knowledge that a healing had taken place as someone in the crowd touched the Lord. And you have to see this poor woman coming through the crowd and reaching out down low and grabbing the hem of his garment and then slithering away. 
Jesus, so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he knew instinctively something had just happened. Verse 47, now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Now, this was another one of those potential dilemmas that people tried to sort out. To touch her or to be touched by her would render Jesus unclean, or would it? Because the moment she touched him, she was clean and healed. And and so it's very interesting, Jesus never violating any Jewish law. It is interesting to speculate that anybody in the crowd that she had touched was ceremonially unclean and would have needed to go through ritual procedures before they could go back to worship. And so I think a lot of people probably slithered away. I didn't touch her. No way did she touch me. I mean, this was a big thing. To you and I, you know, we would just go wash our hands. And it's not like they came into contact even with her blood. It's just that she was a person who was ritually, spiritually unclean. And if you touched her, you couldn't go to worship until you went through certain rituals. And so it's really a rebuke to the crowd. They were all pressing him, but none were touching him. And there's a difference. We're a crowd. We can be here pressing the Lord in a sense. We're all here and and we're listening. Or we can be open to touching Him. We can come thinking, Lord, what are you going to do in my life today? Maybe you're even happy with your life. Things are going well. What does the Lord want to do in your life? He always wants to do something. He always wants to show you something. He always wants to reveal more of His love for you. And we want to be those people that are reaching out to him, touching him, not just pressing around him as if it didn't matter. And so in verse 48, he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, it was important for Jesus to expose her for at least two reasons. One, it would allow her to immediately rejoin society. He said, now go ahead, go in peace. There's nothing wrong with you. No reason for you to be an outcast anymore. And then secondly, it taught her that it was faith in him that healed her, not any superstition, not a technique, not the tassels, not anything else other than the fact that she had put her faith in Jesus. She didn't know how it was going to work. She didn't know what was going to happen, but she knew that Jesus and he alone could heal her. Now, what does this teach us about our topic, foiling the fear of suffering? Well, I like this phrase, the woman saw that she was not hidden. I'm sure that as she later meditated upon her illness and her healing, that she understood that she had never been hidden from God, even during those 12 years of suffering. You know what? You and I are never hidden from God. She would look back. I'm, I'm going to speculate, but I've heard a lot of testimonies like this and read a lot of testimonies like this people who have had long-term problems, long-term illnesses, and then they, God has dealt with them in a certain way in their life, and they look back and they give God glory for what they've gone through. And many of them say, I wouldn't change one day of it. It was tough, it was suffering, it was adversity, whatever, however you'd explain it, but God took me through it and showed me so many things. You and I are never hidden from God. If we suffer, it's in the will of God. 
You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. God will sometimes bring something into our lives, a suffering or an adversity, so that we will draw close to Him. He listens to our prayers. We say, Lord, help us to draw close to You. We want to know You more. And God says, okay, here's a way. I'm going to bring this trial into your life, this suffering into your life. And then we spend all our time in the trial trying to get out of it. And we say, Lord, get me out of this trial so that I can know you better. I can't serve you. I can't know you. I just, I'm not happening, Lord. And so heal me or take this away so that I can, you know, do the things that I want to do. And, and we're at cross purposes with the Lord. The Lord says, I am answering your prayer. This is how you're going to draw close to me. And so we need to relent and let the Lord do his work in our life. Paul the Apostle put it best. I really love this verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Paul put all possible suffering into the category of what he called light affliction. He says, for our light affliction, it's but for a moment and is working for us a far and more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so if you're suffering today or when you suffer today or tomorrow, know that you are not hidden from God and that it is in His will to bring you close to Him. Faith in Jesus foils your fear of separation. That's the topic of verses 49 through 56. Have you ever been going down 11th Avenue, pull over for the ambulance on its way to community hospital, and then catch up to it at the train? <laughs> Who decided to put the hospital where it is? That's what I want to know. Or, you know, because I think the train track was there prior. I, that's happened a lot over the 20 years that I've lived here. Sirens, Every second counts, except for the 10 minutes I have to wait for the freight train. It's kind of weird. We've almost forgotten about Jairus and his request. He must have been anxious for Jesus to press on, annoyed at the crowd in general, or maybe even angry at the delay caused by the woman with the flow of blood. Interesting, there are several points of what I would say irony to keep in mind. First of all, Jairus' daughter, we're told, was how old? 12 years of age. The woman with the issue of blood had been suffering exactly that same amount of time. Now, I'm not sure all the, that the numbers mean, but there's, it's not a coincidence that these things are happening at the same time. Jesus addressed the woman using the word daughter. It's the only time he ever called anyone daughter, and it's the exact same word used to describe Jairus' little girl. And so Jairus had a daughter, but God also had a daughter in that story. The irony is reinforced further if you consider that Jairus, we remember, is a ruler of the synagogue. He might have been the one personally involved in declaring this woman unclean and unfit for attendance and in putting her out of the synagogue. Just as his life was being blessed with the birth of his little girl, he was having to put this woman out of public worship because of the distress in her life. And one additional irony, Jairus was now risking his own place in the synagogue by coming to Jesus for help, which would certainly be against the wishes of the Pharisees and the scribes who had turned against Jesus. He could be put out of his own synagogue for this action. So some very interesting intersections of lives coming together here. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Not bad for a death notification. The first part actually is okay. 
You really should, if, if you have something to say to somebody that is in, you know, the area of a tragedy, you should just tell them. I mean, you can sit them down, make sure everything's, you know, co- you know going well in their situation, but we, a lot of times we just beat around the bush, and you need, if, if someone's died, then you need to say, look, your daughter is dead. And so that's okay, but then to go on and say, don't, don't bother Jesus. Oh, okay, so bothering Jesus is on a par with my daughter's death. You know, oh, you don't want to bother Jesus anymore because your daughter died, so just go home, live with it. I mean, this is really not a good death notification, but uh, it, it would have just struck fear and just terrible things into the heart of Jairus. He must have been crushed. If only Jesus hadn't stopped to help the suffering woman, his own daughter might have been healed. How often do we get discouraged when we see God touching someone else's life while our own answers to prayer are delayed? I think a lot of the discouragement all of us have in our lives is making these comparisons. You know, there's something going on in your life, you're wanting the Lord to deal with it, you're praying about it, and then you watch other people being blessed, other people who are less deserving than you. Ooh, that's, that's a touchy subject, but you know how, yeah, we're human, that's what we believe. Why am I sick? Why am I suffering? Why not so-and-so? Well, you wouldn't say it publicly. I would, but I have to. And so we sometimes feel that way. If only Jesus hadn't been, you know, uh, you know if only he had ran. This is how Jairus thinks. He says, Lord, my daughter's sick. Okay, let's go. We're almost there. We got to get there. You know, really, Jesus is never in a hurry. There's an episode in the Gospel of John, very famous episode. You remember when Lazarus was sick? And Jesus says, hey, thanks for the news. Let's hang out here for a few days. Why? Well, because he has to die first. Jesus not in a hurry. We're always in a hurry. Now, there, there are emergencies and urgencies, don't get me wrong, that, that need immediate response. But spiritually speaking, a lot of times, oh, this has to happen right now. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Things have to happen in God's timing. And if, if there's one thing you learn from Jesus in all of these episodes is that God has a perfect sense of timing. It was important, I mean, it sounds odd to say this, it was important that Jesus be delayed, that this young girl die so that God could be glorified. From our perspective, Lord, you've got to come and you've got to come right now. I'm sure Jairus, when he heard that Jesus had returned from across the Sea of Galilee was ecstatic. This is the answer to prayer. He knew Jesus had gone. How long he would be gone, who knows? Jesus is out of reach. He's, he's going to go and heal other people. Why not my daughter? And then all of a sudden, here's Jesus on the shirt. Jesus, you've got to come. Come on, right now. I've got a, you know, a chariot ready for you. And then the crowd just thronging. Don't they know who I am? Don't they know how serious this is? And Jesus Jesus, capable of multitasking, says to them, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. We are prone to believe the words of men and doubt the word of God. Jesus had indicated by starting out for her house that he would heal her. You know, there's no sense, is there any understanding in your heart that Jesus would get there and say, oh, well, she's dead now? (laughs) If If only I hadn't spent so much time with the Gadarene demoniacs, I'm sorry, I can officiate at the funeral if you'd like. I mean, seriously, I mean, this this is real life. This is how these people thought. They thought, don't bother Jesus because the girl's dead. 
If only he had been there. We believe the words of men and doubt the word of God. As soon as Jesus headed for Jairus' house, Jairus should have just rested in the Lord and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for answering my prayer. Earlier, he may not have known it, but earlier, remember the centurion sent back to Jesus regarding his slave and said, oh, Jesus, you don't even need to come. Just say the word and I know he'll be healed. And so we, we get so troubled not believing the word of God. The little girl's death changed nothing as far as Jesus was concerned. And so when he came into the house, verse 51, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. All wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. The mourners quickly turned to mockers. Now some of these would be professional mourners, hired to intensify the emotion at a Jewish funeral. If you read the culture of that time, manners and customs and all, they had people you hired to, to mourn at your funeral. And the more important you were or the more money you had, the more mourners you would have. You and I think it's funny, but it's not different from some of our customs. Flowers, for example. Uh, and I'm not against flowers. I love flowers uh, at funerals. But... You know, it's, it's, it, the, more the, flower, you know, the more flowers a person has, the more they were loved. And, and people say things, oh man, look at all these flowers. Okay. All it does is remind me that the grass withers and the flower fades. And, and I hope the person was a Christian. If they are, they're way better off, you know, and stuff. And they just soon your flowers go somewhere else, you know, use the money for something else. But anyway, so we have these kind of weird customs too to try and show. So they had professional mourners, and I mean, these, this isn't like the, you know, the people in the front row dabbing their eyes with tissue. These are Jewish mourners, <laughs> radical Jewish mourners, you know, in their mourning society, you know, and stuff, and they probably practiced mourning. I mean, they were going for it. And then Jesus says, hey, hey, she's asleep. And then they, they immediately start to ridicule him because so, they're not really mourning. They're, I mean, they, they don't really have any emotion. Uh, it's just a physical thing that they're doing. If the person sleeping was a believer, we smile at funerals. We don't necessarily mourn. We mourn for the family and all, but we can smile. Now, what do we mean by sleeping? The Bible frequently describes physical death as sleep. When you are asleep you will awaken again, or at least you expect to. When your body dies, it will rise again. Your physical body sleeps in this way. Your soul and your spirit never sleep. When your soul and spirit are separated from the body at death, if you are a Christian, they're immediately present with the Lord in heaven, conscious, awake, and aware. If you are not a Christian, your soul is immediately in Hades at death, conscious, awake, and aware of an eternity of punishment that awaits you because you rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus put everyone out except the parents and Peter, James, and John. Jesus is not into making public spectacles of his tender care. There is a time for testimony, as we saw with the woman who touched his garment, but we need to remain sensitive to the people we minister to and never use them for our own gain and our own glory. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. And then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. This was another touch that should have rendered Jesus unclean, but didn't. Jesus comes to you just as you are. 
dead in trespasses and sins, and He touches you at your point of need, regardless the magnitude or effects of your sin. In a way, it's funny, but in a way, it's sad to see people try to clean up their lives before they come to church. Uh, and and this, is, this is a common, it's, it's a human feeling that we have that, you know, you sense a need, you, you feel like you should go to church, but you want to give up your bad habits and, and clean up your life for God. And I understand that, but Jesus comes to you dead in trespasses and sins, decaying in, in you know, your, your dead condition, and He touches you, and at that moment, He gives you life. And her parents were astonished, but he, cha- he charged them, excuse me, to tell no one what had happened. I'm really not sure why Jesus charged them to tell no one what had happened. I do know that everyone would know what had happened. Jairus was an important man. All the pro-mourners were there. They probably didn't get paid. Be- well, I mean, you know, there would have been a contractual problem, you know. There wasn't really a funeral going on. She was dead, and now she was alive. Like the woman with the flow of blood... There is a time for public testimony. But like Jairus' daughter, there is a time for letting your life itself reveal the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And ideally, those two should walk hand in hand, your walk and your talk, talking to folks about Jesus and them seeing in your life that there's a new power to say yes to God and no to sin and self. Jesus has conquered death. It would cause us to shout these words of the Apostle Paul, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Unless, of course, you're not saved, not a Christian, and then you'd better be terrified. Jesus calms your storms. He confronts Satan. He comforts your suffering, and He has very definitely conquered death. It's all done in His perfect timing according to His will for your life. While waiting... You may as well walk in faith rather than succumb to fear. Let's pray together. Lord, how good you are, how gracious you are with such overabundant mercy. You touch the lives of these individuals. And in doing so, Lord, you touch the lives of millions who read these stories and you touch our lives as well because we can most definitely identify with these characters, with these individuals. I pray, Lord, that by the still, small voice of your Spirit, you would speak to each of our hearts, solidify what we've been thinking this morning about your love for us. Stir up in us our own love for you and our desire, Lord, just to be with you, just to know you more. Lord, I know that in, a, in our group there are those who are suffering in one of these ways, financially or emotionally or physically, Lord, or even spiritually. The answer that we have, Lord, is just you, you alive and risen from the dead and a personal relationship with you. It's you giving us new and fresh perspective so that hope becomes our portion we thank you for it, Lord. Lord, those that are here that have struggled with the separation of a loved one at death or maybe are facing that themselves right now, may you entrust them, Lord, with the joy 
of eternal life, knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and that we would desire to be with you and to trust you, your will for our lives. You're a, a good and faithful God. We don't know the end of all things, Lord, and we just need to trust you in what you're doing. And Lord, if there are people here who are not believers, as I'm sure there are, I pray that they would be challenged this day to press through the crowd, to come forward, Lord, to receive your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's stand together. Some of our guys will be here after the service to pray with you. If you're not a believer, not a Christian, never given your life to Jesus Christ, you had better press through this crowd and get up here and be prayed for because this is serious stuff. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you're a Christian or it's to spend eternity separated from God in what the Bible calls eternal death. And you don't want that and you don't have to succumb to that because Jesus is here to save you. And so press through, press forward with your little faith. Come just as you are. Let these guys pray for you that you might receive the Lord. See you tonight. God bless and keep you. Amen.